Cross Defense is underwritten for you by the Luther Academy. You can check them out at lutheracademy.com. Get in touch with them and let them know how much you appreciate their work, including bringing you Cross Defense here on KFUO. Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, where we break down the stronghold, bad opinions, and false notions of the enemy and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's word, his truth, his law and gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is coming again to do. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are on a journey through Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, a signature modern statement of what the Bible confesses, what the Bible speaks, the truth. And we as the Lutheran Church Missouri Center, we hold to this because we're devoted to the belief that when God does speak truth, he does it so that we could speak it back to him. It's not unknowable. It's not unfindable. It's not just your interpretation. St. Paul exhorts all Christians to hunger for this truth, to watch your life and doctrine closely, to persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. But the time is coming, he warns, when people will not put up with sound doctrine but instead will gather around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, you hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and so encourage others. I have guests with me today, two brothers-in-arms, Pastor Micah Glenn, Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri, and, I don't have it written down here, Associate Assistant Pastor. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those weird calls where I am... Um I'm called to a congregation for good order. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't have any pastoral duties to them per se because I, I have this whole other job. So on the call doc- documents, it says pastor of Grace Lutheran Chapel. They, of <laughs> course, have a pastor. So I'm not their associate pastor because I... I think that would give the idea that um, yeah yeah sure so it's you know. sure I mean the only, <laughs> only reason I brought it up is is because you are connected there yeah and, uh, yeah and in one way you're very much their missionary exactly yeah. so you, you could call me their associate pastor I'd be okay with that it's not like I'm like oh no not yeah, yeah. associate pastor yeah, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well then we got and we got our other missionary uh, kind of in not in I want, what is in training not in training at all a missionary on the street uh, having been there in the in the trenches now for what two years three years out there Adam yeah, DeGroote two and a half years so far yeah. Adam DeGroote, missionary pastor, shepherd of the City Lutheran Church, and uh, working with Philadelphia Lutheran Ministries as well out in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, man, the mean streets, Rocky Balboa, and uh, some pain and suffering, yeah? Uh, well, yeah, it's given over now to a Propello Creed son. He's not quite the uh, the cult hero that Rocky Balboa uh, is and was, but uh, yeah, we're we're continually moving forward into uh, into new frontiers. It's supposed to be a good movie, though. I, I want to see it. Did you see it? I, I, I did, yeah. It's, it's pretty accurate in, in a lot of ways in depicting the everyday differences of Philadelphia, and it's pretty consistent with the uh, Rocky movies that we've come to know and love. Ah, cool. I mean, there's there's some real good ones. There was a, a few bad ones. Whatever, what was it, <laughs> six or whatever? Tommy Gunn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's we're, we're we're trying to finish up Dr. Peeper on religion, and that, that's what he's been doing for a while. And, and there's so much to talk about. It's not like it's not like it's not worth saying the same thing multiple times. And so we've been digging through this a bit slowly. But his his main point he's driving at is this idea that there's there's two religions, two religions in the world, one of works, one of grace, and and this is what sets Christianity apart as the only religion of pure grace, centered in the one man who earned it for us. In Jesus. And we've been going around and around that from a bunch of different edges today. Hopefully we can kind of finish that up, but it can never be said enough. 
uh, because it's the one thing that we don't want to believe. It's the one thing we're constantly wanting to to forget. You know, and then so another way of saying this, you know, as Lutherans, we talk law and gospel, right? As as kind of the main way in which we do theology, and sometimes that can become jargon, though. That's the danger, as we start to use these terms and just kind of throw them around without having them connect anything. So. Uh, hopefully, uh, that's what this language is doing. Is it's bringing it at us from a from a bit of a different direction. Um, any thoughts on that, either of you, before we jump into to the the lead up to this guy Max Mueller, who nobody knows about, but we're going to learn from him anyway. I like the fact that you had mentioned the, that it can become jargon, and I think really what's helpful is that this is such a broad topic, but it's not a broad topic because he's doing a very good job of just simplifying it and saying. In no uncertain terms, there's really only two religions that exist in all the world. And yet, being able to understand in a very finite way that the false religion can manifest itself in millions of different ways. And yet, the true religion is only manifesting itself in very clear, articulated means and in particular ways that we can actually come to see and come to know. And I think that's the great comfort that we have. So you got the pluralism of, of the world's religions. That's just They're plural. There's many. They're, they're legion, if I can say it that way. And you got the singularity of Christianity. It's all in regards to how you're reconciled to your particular God. And so we, of course, know that in order to be reconciled to him, it's only through Christ, only through the gospel. Those lines get muddied, and that's how you, you get into pluralism, I think, within Christendom even. And I think Pieper does a great job of breaking those two apart. And again, if you read this section in Pieper without that that lens, you could think that he's kind of doing Shooting that. in the Missouri Synod horn. Yeah. Well, well, and, and also getting to this this idea of the, of the law being a negative thing. Oh, yeah, sure. But, but it's simply something right. that, that can't reconcile us to God. And, and right. that's not a Lutheran thing. That's a St. Paul thing. That's a, a right. biblical thing. And, and I think that's, for me, when I was reading this section in preparation for today, it's something that it was good for me. And just that reminder that as a pastor, when I preach the Word of God to people— constantly being reminded that they need to know that the only way they can be reconciled to God is through the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, all the divisions, you mentioned this, I think, uh, referring to the, the pluralism in the church, the divisions in Christianity are only there insofar as we give in to the temptation to create new paths to God via various forms of, of works. And that the the proper distinction of law and gospel is, in this way, the most ecumenical, that is, a unifying idea there can possibly be. All divisions in the church come from the rejection of of that, trying to, to make new laws to keep. Yeah. Um, so let's just, uh, we got this quote from Pieper is what I want to focus on first, but then we're going to move into, he quotes another guy named Max Mueller, who probably was a dogmatician of some kind. That means he's a professional theologian, you know, sitting in a white tower somewhere, thinking deep thoughts. But he he wrote some really good stuff uh, that people quotes about and kind of summarizing everything that we've talked about up to this point. But first, before we get to him, uh, Pieper says, when we examine the religious phenomena in non-Christian religions and compare them with those of the Christian, you know, in short, when we see people doing worship stuff that aren't Christians and we compare them with Christians, we find that the non-Christian religions... The monotheistic, no less than the polytheistic, animistic, and other forms. That is, whatever your not-Christian religion is, whether you are believing that Allah is the one God and Muhammad is his prophet, or whether you're believing that the local tree and cow are the God you need to worship, all of them seek to establish good relations with the deity, whichever one that they're pointing to, as Mike pointed out earlier. They're seeking to establish good relations with the deity by way of works, 
while the essence of the Christian religion consists in the exact opposite by faith, not of works. And that's where, you know, when you get rid of that, when Christianity starts to teach works, not faith, what you end up doing is you just end up destroying Christianity. Yeah, it makes it just another religion of the world. Exactly. Peeper brings up worship styles, and I know that's a hot topic for the LCMS, so I'm not going to harp on that. We do it enough already. But this idea that when you come to worship uh, from a Lutheran perspective, from a, I mean, not even from a Lutheran perspective, again, from a biblical, Christian, historical perspective, it's always there to reconcile yourself to God, but it's always done through His grace. Right. And And the focus is the flow is from Him to us. There's a response, of course, but the grace then doesn't return to God. Right. Here here I am to offer, here I am to worship is not necessarily something I don't want to sing because of the guitar. It's something I don't want to sing because it's it's got the direction wrong, right? It's not that I don't bring an offering. It's not that I don't worship, but so I'm not there to praise God. I'm there to be saved by God. I do praise him in response to that. We understand that we have praise in response to receiving something, most specifically we come to receive what our Lord has to give, and then, then rightly are giving thanks for having received gifts that we could not ourselves bring about through our own works. And it's just a broken order. I mean, and that's really sin at its heart, isn't it? Broken order. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, and so yeah. when, when the order is broken and I walk into that space, I come in and it's inward first, then nothing else really matters. I can't hear properly, but when you do it the correct way and you come in as a beggar, begging God for his forgiveness, then everything else kind of just flows from that moment. And then, you know, the songs or whatever you sing is always going to be ordered by the fact that you just received God's grace rather than I'm here to do this for you, God, so that we can have this right relationship. Yeah, true praise is instantaneous. It can't be manipulated. It can't be forced by us. But when, and this is why I love our hymns so much, when the words about Jesus strike a chord in your heart, holy moly, just you you do feel something, and you, and you want to express that thing. Um, but it, to kind of get back and, and tie a bow on it, maybe before we move into another thing that you brought up earlier, um, the question is, are you going to church to climb a ladder, or are you going to church to beg? <laughs> and there's a really big difference between those two things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, yeah, and I'm oh, sorry, uh, just when we come in and we, we beg, uh, the beautiful thing is that the ladder is then let down. Yeah, right. Well, he comes down on it, right? He climbed down to us. Adam? Yeah, I think, Mark, as you were talking about it before, is that what sets the precedent of individuals coming in, understanding they're coming to receive? And the reason I ask is is obviously we as pastors want to be able to rightly understand that we're giving things in the proper order. In other words, we're giving what God has to give because we are so desperately and direly in need of it. And But ultimately, what brings people in in that sort of right posture, and, and from what I'm seeing in Philadelphia— it is a, a tremendous constraint and, and contrition that comes simply from the weight of the natural law that's working on these individuals that are bringing them in, almost literally, battered and beat without any solution in and of themselves. And for us as, as pastors to be able to rightly have these things, and what I'm seeing is, of course, as people are saying, the law naturally rightly brings us to this point of contrition and sorrow for the sins that we find ourselves in because our lives are disordered absolutely and what else can we provide for them than the true order of the liturgy and the order of god who has tremendous things to give i love how the the law in so many ways explains the brokenness i mean there's the one hand in which it shows it to me you know that that i i would not know what it was to covet if it did not say you know that should not covet but on the other hand as I, in my own first world way, experience the life not being what I want it to be. Uh, my attempts to build the castle and it falls down, whatever that castle might be. And for some people, that's food. For some people, that's that's a bigger dream. It doesn't matter. 
it, it crashes into the futility of this age and the law so wonderfully explains why it just shows how my heart is set in all the wrong directions and that's why it's so important for a pastor to be equipped to to give that to the sinner in a way that doesn't crush them more if that's not what they need at that moment, but can actually set you free is the Romans 7 thing too. Romans 7's got a lot of law in it, but it's like freeing because it's like, oh yeah, I can I can admit that this is a problem. And then you have that salve of, of Jesus to place on the sinner. And especially you two, both as missionaries. I mean, if you're out there just to get people to be good, I mean, you're going to bang your face against a brick wall for a long, long time. I mean, the one thing we got to offer is the thing nobody else can offer, and I guess this this brings us back to you know this other point. I want to I want to pull out of Peeper's statement here about how all these other religions, doesn't matter where you are, they 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 just incline to thinking the way to fix it is to do more. And so even that person crawling into your congregation, battered and bruised, they're 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 coming there for help, but they're coming there thinking still there's something I must do in this place. To, to reconcile myself to God, to make God happy with me. And then this is the marvel of, of being Christians is you get to just tell them it's done. Especially within Christianity. I mean, we, we can talk about other religions uh, until we're blue in the face and how they're wrong uh, and, and how their God doesn't really exist because he's never manifested himself to the world. It's just all make-believe and there's proof for that and there's proof that Jesus did walk this right, earth. Right. But within Christianity, I think Peeper's talking so much more to other Christians because if you establish Christianity and you and you establish salvation on on doing more, there's always going to be a moment. There's always going to be a point where your life is going to reflect that you're not doing the right thing because things are going wrong, or you're going to continue to do the wrong thing, and you're going to realize that these steps aren't getting me where I desire to go. And then what else? What's left? Right. It's just despair. Right. After great, that. great was the crash of that house. My yeah. goodness, uh, and so. Um, it, it's such an important thing, again, to continue to harp on it, and you can't preach the gospel enough because, I mean, even in my own life, right, um, as a pastor, as, as a sinner walking the earth, uh, when I get trumped up, when my ego gets too big, or when I fail to do something that my call requires me to do, where do I turn? Do I right. say, oh, man, I need to go back and fix that. I need to do more, 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 more. Or do I say, God, forgive me? And your your perspective on that is just going to affect your life. It's a revolutionary idea. One other thing, too, Micah, is that, you know, Yes, we're, we're either led to despair and or even more so as I've just I just had a conversation with a man the other day that really had espoused this way of thinking is that, you know, he was to a point of pride because he had really believed that he was able to fulfill the law. And that brings about a, a whole another batch of problems uh, with it as well. So there's there's no end to the ways in which we can be deceived if we're approaching Christianity and believing that the law is how we are made right before God. When you build your house on the sand and the storms come and they knock it down with a great crash, you can either say, that's a great crash, I'm in trouble, or you can build a a sarcophagus over it and paint it white and say, oh, look, a tribute, how wonderful this was. But as Jesus said, there's only dead bones inside. Yeah, no matter how big your pride is. It's it's the, the beautiful freedom of Christianity is just to be dead. Is you get to be dead, you know, and stop trying to live as a dead man. So, so Max Mueller, this guy, and again, I don't know a ton about him. The footnote uh, didn't say a, a huge amount, but apparently he had he was a name, you know, he was a player back in the day because he's able to say uh, as as he uh, starts talking about what he's going to say his credentials in the discharge of my duties for forty years as a professor of Sanskrit in the University of Oxford. Like you don't get there just accidentally, you know. You got to you got to do some work to get to that spot. But he says I've devoted as much time as any man 
and living to the study of the sacred books of the East. This meaning non-Christian uh, books as well. So like the, the Torah and the uh, various uh, Bhagavad Vita, things of the Hindu religion. He says, and I found the one keynote of all these so-called sacred books, whether it be the Vedas of the Brahmins or the Puranas of Siva and Vishnu, the Quran of the Mohammedans, the Zend Avest of the Parsis, the Triptaka of the Buddhists, he says the one refrain through all is salvation by works. They say that salvation must be purchased, must be bought with a price, and that the sole price must be our own works and deservings. And I did, golly, that's just got to be stunning to be able to see that on the table. And, and it's not proof that Christianity is right in some sort of like necessarily mathematical sense, but isn't it just stunning that the whole world can only say, yep, do better. <laughs> and and how much that sets it apart from the man who comes and, and says, uh, you know, let he who is perfect, cast the first stone, go your way. You know, of course, he says sin no more, but also he says, I forgive you. It's just, a, it's a radical difference. It almost sounds right, doesn't it? That salvation must be purchased, must be bought with a price. Which price? That's, that's good stuff, yeah. right? Until you yeah. say your own price, your own right. purchase. Uh and so that's, I mean, again, it's, it's so radical, but you can't do it by one plus one, but you can do it by feasibility. Nobody's walked this earth 100% according to the law of any religion except for Christ. With that also is that, you know, as we're then beginning to set the price, you know, the how much law is necessary in order to be pleasing to God or uh, the man I spoke to the other day that said, well, I'm doing, I'm doing X amount of good things over to my neighbors around me. And what then necessarily gets taken out of that equation is the very God who is the only one who is righteous and the only one who is good, infinitely higher than we could ever imagine. And believing that, we start to compare ourselves to our neighbors. And so we start to disenfranchise ourselves from God by virtue of us are thinking that we can please him. But not only that, but continue to disconnect ourselves from humanity, which how are these things, not the tool of the devil, that leaves us in isolation, away from the very gifts that God simply has to give, if only to the one who says and understands that they are a sinner, a dead man who needs to be given life and salvation. Well, and here's the even even more dangerous thing about works righteousness, especially within Christianity, that uh, I do X, Y, Z, I live my life according to this way, and therefore I have a right relationship with God. When you begin to compare your life to God that way, and you look at your neighbor that's right. not a Christian, who doesn't believe in God, and you see what he's doing, he's like, oh, he's doing X, Y, Z like I am. Uh, so he must be righteous to God as well. I know he doesn't go to church on Sunday and he doesn't confess God, but he's doing the right things. And therefore, I don't need to witness to him about Jesus. And so you never preach to him. He's never baptized. He never comes to know the saving grace of God. And you fail to do your job and as a Christian. That's the threat that Peeper is really fighting with here in his time is, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, Micah, he's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians who have gotten to the point where they're saying, all the religions are going to get there one way or the other because all religions have the same basic idea, which is you got to try to improve your life and be a better person. Christianity says this too, and, and it's great. You know, look at all the, the religions of the world. We can all be friends now. And he's writing back against that, saying, no, there's something that sets us apart from that, and that is that is grace. Uh, what, what Adam said as well, I thought was rather um, deep, really, uh, this idea that when I am needing to justify myself when I'm needing to prove myself according to my works and I got this bar I got to climb over and I'm trying to get over that bar and I'm finding that I'm not getting over the bar the the most natural thing to do is then look around at other people 
and find the ones who also aren't getting over the bar and maybe are lower. They're having more trouble. And I can say to myself, well, at least I almost got over the bar. Like I got, I got within an inch getting over the bar. That guy, he's barely even climbing up the bar at all. And, and I began to then make use of my neighbors, not as someone to serve, but as someone to serve me by convincing me that I am good. And as a result, as, as you said, Adam, I distanced myself from my neighbor. I have objectified dehumanized my neighbor mm-hmm. in my quest to, to prove my value and uh, how isolating that is, how that's the devil's ultimate well, goal. Or I start to look at my neighbor as a god, and I start to look for my validation from humanity and from another human being rather than seeking to hear the true words of God that say, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased, and I am well pleased to restore you and to give you grace and to give you forgiveness. You know, there's many despicable sins, and and what sin isn't despicable, but many sins that are being, by virtue of popular sentiment, normalized, and then those things become new standards or new laws to live by, if only because we fit within the criterion of of the cult of personality, which is all the more detrimental because then we're believing the thoughts of men over the very standards that God himself has given to us for our own good. Well, and as you said at the start there, we end up silencing God, and once we silence God, then we've silenced the gospel, we've silenced the grace. So rejecting his ability to call us sinners, we reject his ability to save us from that sin. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fist, talking with Pastor Micah Glenn and Pastor Adam DeGroote, and we will be back on the other side of this break for more Max Mueller and the reality of what religion really is. Providing solid confessional Lutheran resources for pastors around the world. That's Luther Academy. Logia, the Journal of Lutheran Theology, the 13-volume Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Global Conferences for Strengthening Pastors. That's Luther Academy. Sign up for our email news and support our efforts at lutheracademy.com or call us at 260-452-2211. Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Worldwide KFUO invites you to start and end your day with the Word of God and prayer with morning prayer at 9 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. Weekdays on the Messenger of Good News, Worldwide KFUO. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. Your second look could be their second chance. Sarcoma, 
Odds are you've never heard that word before. But for the 40 people diagnosed with sarcoma every day, it is a life-changing word. Life-changing and devastating because sarcoma is cancer. Sarcoma is a cancer of bone and soft tissue more prevalent in children than in adults. More than 6,000 people lose their lives to sarcoma each year. Treatment options for sarcoma are limited, and new therapies are desperately needed. More research and increased awareness is necessary to find a cure for a cancer that you probably didn't even know existed until now. Through awareness, advocacy, and research, the Sarcoma Foundation of America is determined to help those affected by this forgotten cancer, to bring hope to the children and adults whose lives are forever changed by a word they had never heard before. Please help us in the fight to find the cure for sarcoma. For more information on sarcoma and the work of the Sarcoma Foundation of America, please go to curesarcoma.org. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. The Nobel Prize has been awarded to men and women distinguished in the fields of physics, chemistry, medicine, and literature. And in its 116-year history, only 49 women have been the recipient. In 1938, Pearl S. Buck, daughter of missionaries in China, won the Nobel Prize in Literature, having earlier been awarded the Pulitzer Prize. One of the most prolific authors of her generation, her novel, The Good Earth, depicting peasant farm life in China, was a worldwide bestseller. Adapted as a major motion picture in 1937, nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. But in the early 70s, Buck used her literary talent to paraphrase the Bible in 72 major stories of the Bible titled The Story Bible in language understandable for people of all ages. Engage with the Bible with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Do you enjoy using good old snail mail? Writing a letter, a postcard, or using a typewriter to do the same? Why not send Worldwide KFUO your letter today? Our street address is Worldwide KFUO 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri 63122. And just a click away, 24 hours a day, you can find our contacts page at kfuo.org. The psalmist once wrote, Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and even forevermore. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. On Sunday's Moments of Assurance, I'm going to be talking about that surrounding presence. It'll help you. Join me for the broadcast at 9.15 a.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are trying to discern, trying to learn the difference between Christianity and the echo of the world, the ever lie, the repeating, ongoing refrain of do it, do it, climb, work. You can, you can, you can be 
like God and countering that echo with the certainty, the beautiful certainty that, well, we do need to be bought with a price, but whose price? And that Christianity teaches the price is not my blood, but the blood of one shed for me. When we were about to go to break there and Adam was talking about the loneliness and isolation and, the, and how God gets silenced by our works, I, I had a song come into my head, one that I know some Lutherans don't like as much, but I think it's a great baptismal hymn. We actually uh, uh, sing it uh, sometimes on, on baptism birthdays, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee. And, you know, we're singing this as we're bringing an infant. To the, you know, that, that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Uh, grace, grace alone. It is the striking, striking difference. Uh, this difference continues uh, in another quote from, from Max Mueller. Again, this Oxford theologian, professor of Sanskrit, which means chicken scratches from the dust and the dirt of the deep Middle Ages, uh, who had read every possible uh, foreign or, or, or Eastern spiritual book that he could find, and he found they all teach works. Uh, He says this as well. He says, Our own holy Bible, our sacred book of the East, is from beginning to to end a protest against this doctrine, that is against the doctrine of works. Good works are indeed enjoined upon us, but they are only the fruits of our faith. They are never the ransom money of the true disciples of Christ. Let us not shut our eyes to what is excellent and true and of good report in these other sacred books. But let us teach Hindus, Buddhists, Mohammedans that there is only one sacred book that can be their mainstay in that awful hour when they pass all alone into the unseen world. It is this sacred book which contains that faithful saying, worthy to be received of all men, women, and children, and not merely of us Christians, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a potent paragraph. I'm stunned. Um, I, how, you, how do you even respond to this? He's he's just right, and it seems so obvious on the one hand is why we have mission work, but this was an age when mission work was being abandoned. Uh, it was being uh, kind of turned into nothing but mercy, that we're going to kind of bring about the kingdom of God by doing mercy everywhere and not worry about the differences in these religions. We would create peace by our own efforts. And here he's, he's imploring his fellow Christians, look, like, if we can't give these other groups Christ... Uh, we probably shouldn't even be on their shores. At Westfield House, I was in a, a lecture on uh, Reformation history, and we got to Lutheranism, and, and here is this uh, Cambridge scholar. Uh, he's a Luther scholar, and he says, Luther would say, good works are futile. And he ended. Futile towards towards what right. exactly are we talking about here? And again, I, we, we've been saying this over and over and over, but you, you can't say it enough. Again, if, if you read scripture, of course, you, I mean, you read St. Paul, it, good works are necessary to right. the Christian. Right. Uh, but, it, but it proves your faith one way and not the other way. Uh, and so it's not like God is examining your good works and he's checking off the list and saying uh, he's almost there. Uh, a couple more check marks and, and then he'll be there. No, it, it does witness to your neighbor uh, that you're you're doing something. But again, in the world, there are non-Christians who do good works. I mean, yeah, good stuff. Of course, we, we can't count them as good works in the Christian sense, but things that are good for your neighbor. And so good works alone is, is still not enough as a, of a witness right. to the mercy of Jesus Christ. Good works are futile. On the last day, yeah. as the purchase price, they're, they're not futile. Right. When my neighbor's hungry, it's not futile of me to feed him. 
not taking it as a liberty just to sit and rest on our laurels until the last day. That's one thing as an adult convert to Lutheranism that I really struggled with the first, probably first two years after being a Lutheran, is that to say being saved by grace through faith and then believe that it somehow gives us license to just sit on our hands. But no, Micah, as you had said, the works are actually profitable. And not only that, but the, the good works of, uh, or the works that are being done by those of, who are believers and non-believers are beneficial and are, are here to show us that God is still here maintaining this order. There is absolutely no value for the overall salvation of these particular individuals. And yet, they remind us that God is still watching over us, providing that which we need temporally in order that we, who will one day see these things forever, might be well maintained now until the until the end of time. The idea of merit is kind of a silly thing. Like the, the, It shows you how bad we are, that we think, we would think that I should get paid for doing something good. Like, like I need to get paid back. Like, doing the good thing wasn't good. It, it was only kind of mediocre, and then it's only when I get paid that it's good. And so, you know, loving my neighbor is only good if I get something out of it, in which case it's not love at all, right? It's, it's actually hate. It, we're just so backwards, it's insane. I, I also think this is a moment for us in the Lutheran Church, like Adam was saying, calling it what it is, the, the complacency of the LCMS. Yeah. I, so we, we do we do foreign missions. We have lots of international missionaries. And now we have this wonderful program that Adam and I are, are both a part of, Mission Field USA. We have seven, at the moment, domestic missionaries, and we're, we're adding more in the next three years. Um, but if you look at the grand scope of things, what can seven people do amongst millions of people yeah, in America? Yeah, I know. I mean, just sending 12 wouldn't really get anything done. Yeah, exactly. And so, No, I'm I mean, kidding, though. I mean, I'm trying to, like, knock you a little bit. 12 guys, <laughs> well, you know, can change the world. So when you're armed with the right stuff, and I'm not trying to knock you yeah. in the sense that we don't want to send more. We should be sending 30, 50, 100. I mean, send as many as we can. But Right. So I'm not going to discredit the work that we're doing. That's yeah. not what I'm saying, of course. And, and I don't want people to, and I'm not trying to become, look, people, you're not doing enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you got to be doing more because that's what we've been talking against. But at the same time, it, it's a both and it's not a either no, Yeah, or. exactly. The, I mean, the genesis of Philadelphia Lutheran Ministries where Adam is or connected to out there uh, was just this idea that it's a, an amazingly narrow negative thing that a, a church body as large as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, if you go back 10 years, basically didn't have domestic missionaries at work. We Congregations had to do this, but that with our capital, with our capacity, we were not sending people to the U.S., and doubly so, then we were not having churches or congregations in our cities, in the, in the hearts of those cities. We were abandoning them. And ever since the 1950s, we'd just been kind of leaving, and, and it really betrayed a cultural idolatry. Uh, within the the populace of the synod, uh, uh, maybe a belief in our Germanism more than in our Lutheranism, and uh, that's not to accuse every individual of that. And I know there are many pa- faithful people out there, um, but it, it is certainly a ghost that haunts us, and uh, we can't just sit on it anymore and watch watch congregation after congregation close without trying to go back. We can say a lot of things about the decline of Christianity in America. It's not like the LCMS is the only church. Oh yeah, on the decline. for sure. Um, but again, uh, do we? What's the reaction then to it? What's the response? Right. Do we sit on our hands, or, or do we do what we've been called to do, and do we uh, unapologetically preach the truth? The response that I feel like I saw in the parish a lot, though, when a parish was struggling or or, or risking itself, or or what do I say, um, declining slowly. I mean, it wasn't like overnight, but it was over a generation. The response I saw was fear that led to sticking the head in the sand and doing anything you could to pretend that it wasn't happening and to chase away 
any type of challenge to it, any type of change. And by I'm not talking about, you know, again, you get into the band thing. I'm not talking about, oh, let's put a band up front. That'll fix it. I mean, that that's folly. That's not going to fix it either. But but any type of real repentance and wrestling with well, the fact that we weren't talking to our neighbors, <laughs> you well, know? <laughs> well, and when the church was in hot water in, in Acts, I mean, so there were some, you know, church houses, you know, I mean, house churches where you, you have to worship together in secrecy, but when things got hot, they got more public. Right. And, and so we got to follow that example. And that's, that's kind of what I was trying to, to get at, yeah, yeah. you know, is don't become parochial because things are getting tough. Right. You know, don't, we have this church, this is a safe, we have these strong brick walls. No, no, no. You know, do the opposite because that's the example we've been given. And I wasn't trying to no, accuse no. either. I was laughing at, you know, what could seven men do? And I'm like, well, he sent 12 and it did pretty well. Well, well then we need five more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, Adam, we've been keeping you out of this. You want to jump in? Especially as we look at the Old Testament, you know, the Lord is never has never said that it would be by mass by masses of people um, or by large armies or by uh, great consensuses of, of, of men. Uh, the Lord has always moved when and where he wishes and how he wills, and it's always been tied to the word of God. And I think, one, to address the fear that we have and to be able to rightly preach that that, is, that, that fear is idolatry. Mm-hmm. It's the very idolatry that people are talking about. We have come to believe in this works righteousness. In other words, that our you know if our budgets don't don't run in the black, people need to be encouraged through these things, and yet rightly admonished to be able to see that there is mission work that's going on, that there is solid preaching and teaching that's happening, so that when they hear their pastors saying exactly what people remind us, this is exactly what the what the scriptures remind us. How, well, how will we know? where the church is. Well, we'll know it by the marks. We'll know it by the solid teaching, by the solid preaching. But actually communicates to us that it's not by our works that we are saved. It's not by what it is that we do to bring ourselves into a right standing with God. It is God who reconciles himself to us. And even more so now, as we're getting to this spot where there's tremendous fear for many different reasons, the gospel is needed now more than not, and I don't want to be so bold as to say now more than ever. The gospel has always been needed. I think it says here we are. It is enjoined upon us to do good works, and true good works, most specifically for those of us who are called to be pastors, is simply to preach and to teach the gospel that we might be encouraged in these gray and latter days. The right use of the name of God is a good work. And so teaching and preaching is definitely that. And uh, the need for the gospel, the day, the day of salvation is now. It's always now. Uh, if I might use a little analogy, and it's, it's going to stretch us a bit, but maybe I'll bring us back to it and let me complain about about something as we're at, or complain, challenge us on something with, with mission work. So, you know, there's this old movie called uh, Star Wars, um, <laughs> A New Hope. And at the end of this movie, there's a big, big super spaceship called the Death Star. It's going to blow up a whole planet and kill all the, the safe little rebels uh, who are the good people who are trying to stop the bad people. And and they kind of have a choice. They can, they can flee and hide. Uh, they can let the spaceship blow up their planet, or they can throw everything they got at a last-ditch effort run straight at the enemy. They don't, and that's what they do. They don't sit back in their little their little hovel and hide and hope and pray. What they do is they they put it all on the line. They throw every cruiser, every fighter that they got straight at the Death Star. Uh, 
believing that there's a weakness, believing that there is one way to destroy that thing and that it's going to be by an all-out frontal assault, which they're not prepared for. And and that ultimately to me is if you're in a congregation or you're in a church body or you're in an age like ours where it looks like the darkness is about to swallow us, now is not the time to turn tail and run. Now is the time to go straight at the darkness with everything we got armed with that gospel that she mentioned that we have and trusting that, you know, even if even if we lose everything, even if they kill us, uh, that power of God, that sword of salvation is something that we're carrying into the into the gleaming darkness. And it's going to it's going to have an effect. We might not even live to see it, but it's going to have an effect. And, and so, it, you know, that's where it's like, you know, why aren't we doing more of that? You know, well, I will backpedal on myself. Right. And it, where I, you know, I was talking about complacency. I'm just talking about a reality that does happen in the church. I will say this. And I said, there's only seven of us. And I know Adam will agree with this. But, you know, Mission Field USA, first and foremost, the response by the church to Mission Field USA has been incredible. Mm. When I can go to rural Wisconsin and I can talk about what's happening happening or happened in Ferguson and people are blown away, they're compassionate, they want to do something, they want to help. Right. The, the movement of Mission Field USA is coming from the congregations. And I do realize that not everybody can be a domestic missionary in America right. and, and do the work that Adam and I and the other Mission Field USA cohort does. Uh, and, and that, I will say, being a part of a church body that responds and gets behind a handful of people the mm. way that the LCMS is doing right now. The fact that we can, I can call a church and say, hey, I'm, I'm the domestic missionary in Ferguson. Can I come and share my ministry with you and maybe get some support? And they say yes. And not only do they yeah. invite me to come down there, but after I come and I present and they become more knowledgeable about what we're doing, they do in fact support what we're doing. It's an, I mean, I'm always humbled hmm. to be a member of the LCMS. We just, there's no church like it that that preaches the truth the way that we do unapologetically and still moves together. It just, you don't, mm. you don't see it very often. Yeah. There is a wonderful piety still here. And I, you got to believe that foundation is, is about our history as being a, a people of the Bible. That's why the seventies fight was so important and so good, even though it caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. It was like, no, we're a church of the Bible. We're going to cling to this. And we still are. But that that entails then a kick in the pants too, right? right. <laughs> you know, uh, wake up, repent, believe the gospel. I guess get busy. It's not usually the way I end my sermons, but sometimes you just got to gotta say it. Real quickly on that with what, Micah, what you're saying is that Peeper goes on as we get into this chapter. What we know already is that we're going out as domestic missionaries. We're going out as parish pastors uh, into, into a place and amongst people where he says later, the essence of the true religion has never entered into the heart of man. So what's so wonderful about what we see is that as Micah is going out, as, as, as I'm going out to these congregations who don't know what's happening in Ferguson and don't know what's happening in Philadelphia, Philadelphia and couldn't possibly know because they're not living on the ground seeing these things. They're not, they don't have family members that are here. And yet they are gracious enough to, one, give us the time to be able to come visit with them. Two, they're gracious to be receptive to, to hear what has to be said. And, and then three, they're gracious to actually give to these endeavors that, that they believe are going to do exactly what, what, what the scriptures say that they will. That by the preaching of the gospel, that the church will continue to survive in these days, in these great and latter days. And what a wonderful thing it is to be a part of that, to know even though we're going into these churches where the essence of true religion has never entered into the hearts of men, in other words, we can't quite know this, that God, who is much more, who is much bigger than this, transcends this and reveals to us his grace and his mercy, his peace and all his wonderful gifts that transcends 
all these works and and puts them into the right place that are benefiting our neighbors. Well, you said just a moment ago there, Adam, uh, preaching the gospel. And here, so here's my real challenge where I wanted to go earlier and I never got to it because I got lost in my own train of thought. But but it's not that the whole church can't participate in this, but I'm noticing or I've noticed, and it makes me sad, in, in our era that we're in, there is a real resistance to the idea that we should send pastors to preach the gospel. It's And I, I can only call it an, uh, an anti-clericalism, uh, an anti-pastorism, and it, it's this rising pride. I mean, it's not as if when the Bible teaches that Jesus sends 12 apostles who are the apostolic ministry, and he establishes the office of the keys to be used by the church by men appointed to that task, and Paul says if everyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task, it's not as if that all is set against the lay people, as if it stops them from confessing the gospel, as if it stops them from being part of the mission. But it, certainly, if we're going to reject that sending, then we are rejecting a major portion of the mission. What it, what makes me so encouraged about Mission Field USA is that we're sending pastors to preach. And my my fear, my challenge, my, my bothersomeness in all of this is that, that I still think there's people that think maybe that's wrongheaded. We don't have to send a pastor to do mission. Well, it, nobody said that. But you do need to send pastors. Within my context, we're we're invited into a building that's owned by a secular nonprofit, the the Urban League of St. Louis. Not saying that there aren't Christian people in, within the thing, but they themselves they don't operate from a faith based organization. Um, but even in that sense, they they wanted us because we were religious, but they also wanted us because our our strength in how we prepare minds academically. Mm. The the school system within the LCMS is strong mm. and that extends to our universities, but it certainly extends to our seminaries. Right. And so, you know, within a seminary education, you, you do learn how to become a pastor, but we take the time to, to study, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's very a monastic kind of structure where, you know, the last five years of my life until May, like I was just packed into the word of God on a nonstop basis. And I'm not saying people don't do that, but it's a different way to where uh, we investigate. We ask what I would consider very bad questions. We get torn down by our professors and we get rebuilt the right way so that we can have the the right response to certain things. And that's something a pastor certainly has. He has that training. It's a, I'm a, pro, a professional at this and I'm not shy away of saying that. That's what right. I've, I've spent. I'm a professional in preaching the gospel. And I certainly want to teach that to my parishioners so they can be the best witnesses they can be as well. But it's, but it's still different. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly it. It's the difference between me trying to do my own plumbing and getting the plumber to come in and do it. And, you know, I can do a little bit of it and I'll be okay. But there's a point at which maybe... Maybe I should get the pro to do this. And so God has set apart men for that, certain men, and it's a great gift to the church. And that's that's my complaint. It's not that I, I don't want laity to learn theology. Why would I be doing what I'm doing right now? This is this is for you, laity, so you can learn, so you can confess. But what I want is for the animosity, the, the wall between laity and clergy that seems to have developed in, in Americanism, right? I, I want to just kick it in the face and say, go away, go away, wall. Uh, we're supposed to work together here. Reminds me of uh, it's a Holiday Inn Express commercials, you know, where the guy eats, he stays at a Holiday Inn Express and and shows up at the airport and, and is in the cockpit of the plane and, and and everybody's wondering what's going on and he basically says, "Don't worry, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express." Sorry if that's a plug. I don't know if we can actually do that. Yeah, radio. right, right. It might be a copyright <laughs> violation. I don't know. Uh, sorry, sorry. Um, but you know, you know, I think this is one of the things that I, I've realized here is that being a pastor is 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 much more than being zealous for god hmm. uh 
And and I think what I what I'm simply saying is is this is that there's no doubt that many of us are very zealous for God. And thanks be to God that, that, that that's the case. Why would we expect as Christians that we wouldn't be? It's the greatest teaching that's ever been given. It's the greatest truth that actually reveals comfort and peace, etc., so on to us. And yet, we understand that we live in a world where if just showing up with a smiling face and just showing up and being comforting was enough, then I think we'd see Jesus doing something similar. But we don't see that. What we see is Jesus showing up and he always knows the right thing to say, and he always knows the right thing to do. And it's not to say that we as pastors are going to show up perfectly, and yet it has pleased God. And we were just studying the book of Acts. You know, I think it's interesting as you go through Acts 22. As Jesus is with Paul on the Damascus Road, Jesus could have very well forgiven Paul there. But what does he do? He sends him to a man, Ananias. Hmm. Yeah. And he sends him to the temple, which is the church. Jesus is pleased to have us, although he could have forgiven him right there on that road, Jesus himself is pleased to send him to a trained man, Ananias, who is functioning and seeing to the roles of the church within the temple, and that's exactly how it is that the church has always, been, has always functioned. And so, yes, there's dissension, but I think that we just simply have to say that's simply not the way that it's, that, that it's done and has been done, and even more so, our Lord himself actually sets these things up for our good and for our benefit. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. My guest, Pastor Adam DeGroot, missionary pastor of Shepherd of the City Lutheran Church and working with Philadelphia Lutheran Ministries in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Pastor Mike Glenn, executive director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri, both men part of uh, Mission Field USA, an endeavor of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center, to send missionary pastors into the hearts of our cities and reclaim them by speaking powerfully and boldly the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Dr. Luther has one more quote uh, that is at the end of the section on religion in Francis Pieper's Dogmatics. He quotes Luther saying, from this inherent knowledge originated all writings of the saner philosophers. He's talking about the law. He's talking about works righteousness. From this knowledge, the law, everyone who made sense in the past got their ideas. Aesop, Aristotle, Plato, Xenophon, Cicero, and Cato. If, however, you seek for peace of conscience and for certain hope of eternal life, such philosophers are like the raven which wanders around the ark finding no peace outside but not looking for it within. The law is like the raven. It is either the ministry of death and sin or it produces hypocrites. And his point here really is that little word within, within the ark. What was in the ark? Eight people, eight people saved through water. The same place Ananias, uh, same thing Ananias brings to Paul, baptism. Baptism, which is not just plain water, but the word of God in and with the water, promising to unite you to the death and resurrection of that scandalously particular one man, Jesus Christ, whose vicarious atonement, his blood offering, is the one price, one work good enough to save the entire world, to save you. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Until next time, rock on.